Now, the fifth and penultimate meeting of the Citizens' Assembly on drugs is taking place this weekend, focusing primarily on prevention strategies, but it's also taking place against the background of some comments made by Taoiseach Leo Varadkar while he was visiting New York last weekend. He said he believed a surge in the use of fentanyl is likely here. That's a powerful prescription opioid and manufactured also illegally, which has been seen heavily used across the United States. It's caused devastation there and we've been speaking to Andrew O'Hara who will address the Citizens' Assembly today. He's a coordinator of ISHCA, the National Advocacy Group for People Who Use Drugs. And I began by asking him if he believed there was any information to suggest that fentanyl is already here. Yeah, well, look, I think it's important to state we don't have any actual confirmations from drug testing that it's here, but there's a lot of reports that it's here. And I think there's also what we what we have seen in the last while is an increase in overdoses and an increase in deaths. We would we would suggest there's a correlation between that and whatever's in the supply. So whether it's a, a mixing of some drugs, a higher purity or that synthetic opioids such as fentanyl are within those drugs, it's likely. Now, I would say this, even if it's not here, we're going to have a surge of it at some point based on what's going on in Afghanistan, the fact that there's been deaths in the UK. So, but if and when it does come, we need to be prepared and ready because the, ma- the massive, the, we'll have a massive increase in the overdose and deaths if we're not. All right. And, and the overdoses in Dublin, there has been a recent spike. Do we know to what level? Well, we don't have the statistics at the minute. What we know is like in the last, we put it this way, we have had services, service providers and people who use drugs telling us that they've seen more overdose in the last two weeks than they have in the last six to eight months. And naloxone, which is a opioid antagonist, so it reverses an overdose. And normally in a pranoxoid you get five doses and usually one, possibly two are enough to bring people back. We're hearing more and more people saying they have to, they're going to, have to give people the full five doses and then after that they might have to get more again. So that's these are two indicators that we can see at the minute that shows that something is up with the, with the drugs. Now, there are some indicators from some of the dealers across the country that, you know, they don't have an openness to selling fentanyl because they've seen the destruction it's caused in the States. You know, they've seen, like, the level of deaths, the lack of customers that will lead to, and also the law enforcement that it might bring down on it. Now, apart from the more holistic interventions and, you know, the the, the, the trauma and the pain that might bring mm. people in, into using drugs, the immediate emergency uh, situation that people might find themselves in with an overdose, um, naloxone mm. you're talking about as a possible remedy yeah. to this, what is that and how widely available is it? Well, it's basically an opioid antagonist, right? And it, and it can be quickly administered. And basically what it does is reverses an opioid overdose. All right, now the good thing about naloxone is it holds, holds no risk for abuse and it has no effect, whether it's harmful or anything, on people who do not have opioids in their system. It's also can't be used recreationally or is of no value to anyone. So it's an exceptionally safe and it's a life-saving drug. It's rolled out through the HSE and ISHCA is one of the organisations that also can train people to administer. The problem is at the minute, and, there's a bit, and it's important to say that's been one of the successes and there's been great work done by the HSE on that, but it's slow in being rolled out and there are a lot of barriers. And the main one being that it's actually still a prescription, so it's a, it's a regulated drug. In, in America, the FDA has deregulated it completely. So you can get it over the counter in vendor machines and anywhere you want. Right now, you have to be a person who uses drugs and you have to have a prescription to get it. And it's injectable or it's a nasal spray? 
yeah, and that's one of the good developments because it's in it's originally it was just in a in an injectable form, but it's in an nasal spray, so it's very very easy and simple and safe to use. Is that an argument for what's been argued about at the citizens' assembly in terms of decriminalisation? If people feel they can access safe services, is that helped or hindered by drugs being decriminalised? In your view. The first thing we need to do is we really need to end, like we have a kind of a criminal informed punished approach to drugs. So there's kind of like a belief out there that we need to criminalise people first before we support them, right? Like criminalising was always there because it was believed that it would deter people from using drugs. We know drugs from when heroin was forced in certain areas of Dublin in the 80s, drugs are in every parish in the country right now. And we also know that, like, say, we have all these recreational drug users that are going to be out this weekend, arresting all them and bringing them in through the criminal justice system and putting them into services when they probably have no issue with drugs, isn't going to benefit them and isn't going to benefit the system. So I would argue we would make a strong point that the criminalisation of people who use drugs just punishes them and makes it harder for people to access healthcare and the help that they need. All right. Now, you have an addiction you're not using currently. So how would you say that the criminalisation of drugs has impeded your own uh, ability to stay clear of drugs at this point in your life? Well, look, I have to say, look, I, I've had a, I've had a long history with drugs, you know, for a long time. A lot of lived and living experience around using drugs. And we look back, there was, there was trauma from a young age. You know, I had witnessed my brother in an accident. My brother was later died through a violent death. And, you know, we came from a very particular area where, you know, we used drugs to cope with these things. And when I look back, I know there was a lot of trauma and poverty in that. But what happens really was when drug, when you go from using drugs recreationally to drug dependence, things change drastically because the level of shame and stigma that comes with that really impacts your ability to try and regulate what's going on. I can tell you this, the worse you're treated, the more drugs you take and the more drugs you take, the more desperate you get to the point where I was close to death star on many occasions. So we, we have a we have to we have to we have to look at this through a human rights approach or, you know, a trauma informed approach and be thinking, um like I know from my experience, it hasn't worked for me. It made things harder to get jobs, harder to regulate your family. We've a couple of we've worked with an awful lot of women, huge amount of women. And there was an increase in women going to prison and we have massive amounts of women who are taking drugs because they've experienced trauma. Then they commit crimes to get money. Then they end up in front of the courts. Then they get sent to prison. And then when they come out of prison, the kids are in care and they're homeless. So they get take more drugs to cope with that trauma. And then there's also many instances where their children to cope with that trauma are taking drugs and then sometimes selling drugs. So you can kind of see how once we pull people into the system, they kind of become lifelong victims in the system. We need to be keeping people out of the system. And that was Andy O'Hara, coordinator of ISCA. That's the National Advocacy Group for People Who Use Drugs, speaking to me there. Uh, Oshin Smith, at the top of that interview, the issue of fentanyl was mentioned and the Taoiseach was talking about Ireland should expect the arrival of fentanyl at some point, given the international uh, trend towards it. The HSE says it's not aware of any seizures by Angarda Siakana and no signals of change in the Irish drug market, but it is being monitored. But there is still an opportunity here to prepare the way. And what Andrew O'Hara was talking about there was having the capacity in place to have... um, Naloxone, which can mm-hmm. deal with overdoses, and the other point which he's made before, but it wasn't in that in, in that particular interview, is the ability for people who are drug users to test the potency of drugs mm-hmm. before they take them. Would you support the provision of naloxone off prescription and an increase in the capacity for the pre-testing of drugs? Yeah, I think the the um, the provision of, of pre-testing of drugs is really important. 
it's something that I asked for in the Programme for Government and it's there. And when I went to um, music festivals this year and last year, there was on-site testing by the HSE. And in the first year, there was a huge difference because in the first year it was treated with a lot of suspicion. This year I could see that it was now trusted and accepted and there was people leaving in drug samples and they were being tested and so on. There's, there's a way to go on it yet, but they've, they've really made great progress on that. And I also asked for a citizen's assembly on drugs to be set up and I'm glad that that's happening now, that it's going to complete this year. So, And I think it will be brought to the Health Committee to, to come up with a more sensible drug policy for Ireland that's focused on healthcare rather than uh, criminalising people. Um, and, you know, you're, you're talking about this possibility of fentanyl coming in from the US. We already have a devastating heroin and uh, crack e- epidemic in Ireland, which kills far more people per capita than in other European countries. So we have a very, very serious problem with, with death from overdose. And I think sometimes people think, well, these people's lives are not even worth it. You know, that, the, the, you know, you're a heroin user, you're dying. Uh, you know, that it's, it's, not, it's not generating headlines. It's not generating sympathy. Um, but really, uh, up to 100 people dying of heroin, up to 100 people dying of crack overdose a year. These numbers are completely unacceptable. And we need to tackle it. And we need to sure. change the way that we deal with drug with drug addiction. And by that, and are you talking treatment. about decriminalisation? Would you back what Andrew O'Hara said in, in terms of the role of criminalisation of drug use, uh, its impact on people seeking care? Well, I'd agree, yes. And I'd agree with what he said about shaming and stigmatising people probably makes people take more drugs. Um, I went to Lisbon to visit their famously successful drug programme to see how that worked. And they said the core of it was, was yes, you, you, know, you, you don't get arrested for having a possession of drugs. But more importantly than that, they have a multidisciplinary team of people who come in and they try to find out what has gone wrong in your life that has led to drug addiction. All right. You okay. know, from a psychological or an educational point of view. And they, they, they work on you. And so in order to make that work, you need specific funding allocated for that team to sure. work. And, so, and, and so, but so those decriminalising have, drugs alone is not gonna, isn't, isn't well, going to solve it. You need well, you've anticipated parts. my next question because if you're going to set up multidisciplinary teams and uh, you're going to A, need them in the communities where people are using drugs and B, services to refer people onto the trauma-informed care to deal with some of the issues in people's shattered lives before they ever turned to drugs. So would we see a committee decriminalisation is a simple stroke of a legislative pen, yes. but the investment and the commitment to providing care, is that there? I think the two things have to go together. And, you know, when I, I asked them in Portugal how that works, where, where does the money coming from? They said that there's a, a guaranteed proportion of the lottery funding is being used for it, which made, made sure that there was going to be something going into the future. It's not that many people that are being treated. It's people who are, who are in, it's focused entirely on people in, in, who, who are addicts rather than f- being focused on arresting people for recreational drug use. And so the focus has to be around but you're, you're, you're potentially reliant on the proceeds of one addiction, namely gambling, sorting out the problems of another addiction in drugs if you take that approach. Yes, well, look, we, we already use the proceeds of the National Lottery for, for, uh, for, for, public, for public good. So I think that, that argument right. is, is I, over at this stage. I want to go to, to, to the rest of the panel. Firstly, I suppose, uh, Paul Murphy, we can't reset the clock to 1979 <clears throat> when Afghanistan was invaded and heroin flooded uh, westward from Afghanistan, but we can anticipate the next um, epidemic of drugs, prescription opioids uh, and the like. So in order to cope with what we already have and anticipate the next wave, what services need to be set up and in place? Yeah, 
we need to actually have this health-led approach that now everyone pays lip service to, interestingly. You can ask Leo Varadkar, Michal Martin, they'll also say we need to have a health-led approach. But it is not happening on the ground. So I, I'm involved in the Talad Drugs and Alcohol Task Force, which kind of oversees multiple different projects on the ground, people doing incredible work. And in total, the number of people with addiction, dependency issues dealt with by projects under the Talad Drugs and Alcohol Task Force has doubled over the past 10 years. But funding for the Drugs and Alcohol Task Forces over the past 10 years is down, right? So while health funding as a total is up 50%, Funding for the task forces is down 5%. So this is not... We have to put the money in on the ground right. to help people. And that includes and, and, alcohol. Sure, it includes and, uh, there's, there's a political bit around this as well, isn't it? Because people don't want to see injection centres in their area because they feel they attract addicts to the area. And if, if they're the first to have an injection centre, people from other areas will come in. And in other areas that have seen how badly if the, 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 the negative effect of drugs, they can often contain community activists that are the most militantly against the decriminalisation approach. So how, as a political leader, do you overcome those challenges? Yeah, well, I think in relation to the safe injection facilities, you make the argument, you give the evidence, which is that it doesn't create social problems uh, where you have such a centre and it takes it off the streets, means people are in a safe environment. And you make sure that you're not just introducing one, but you're introducing them across the country. You're introducing fentanyl testing strips, for example, need to be introduced at the moment. And in terms of the other, I think I'm in favour of decriminalisation. I think that the war on drugs has is over, has been lost, like the idea we're just going to pursue this again. But I think to convince those people who see the ravages of drug addiction in their areas that this can be done, well, then you need to actually commit to actually seriously taking on these issues. Because you take the example of alcohol, which is the drug that does the most damage in our society, which is a legalised drug, and people see it's advertised, it's glorified, sure. and we need not to have would those you draw, things Would you draw the distinction drugs? between the industry that provides alcohol and the industry that provides drugs? Because... You know, obviously, the drug industry is largely that. You know, if you if you look at the impact of criminal cartels and the likes of Mexico, while you don't want to criminalise people, what's your opinion on the moral choice of taking drugs? Well, I don't think it is a question of morality. I think um, exactly as Andy is it made an the ethical point, choice. Pe- well, I, I don't. I don't really think so. Um, I think it is a choice for people to make themselves. And I think the point that Andy makes about like there's a reason that people become addicted. To drugs, and there's those deep societal reasons in terms of trauma, in terms sure, of but, inequality, but, in terms but, of poverty. But pe- people There's avoid th- buying particular brands of runners if the factory uses child labour. Should people avoid buying drugs if criminal cartels are providing them? I mean, look, I, I'm not buying drugs that are coming from criminal cartels, and um, so yes, I, I suppose so. But like, let's also look at the reality in terms of you know some of these companies are criminal gangs who do horrific things. Um, some of the companies, I mean, the reason we have a fentanyl epidemic in the US now and a heroin epidemic is because of prescription opioids from pharmaceutical companies that are registered on the stock exchange and made choices uh, to and, push and, and, and have OxyContin been, on and, people. And have like, been taken through the courts. And haven't and, gone and, to jail. And, and sued for billions. It's very difficult uh, to, to sue a cartel. Sorka Clark, um, one of the reasons that fentanyl and the like takes hold is because dealers are, are several steps ahead. So what are the preventative measures? I mean, you, you can take the health care approach, and, mm-hmm. but you also need some approach to try and stop the drugs yeah. reaching the community. And, and you're correct, Colin, when you say that, because to my mind, there's actually four distinct elements to this. You have the use, the misuse, the addiction and the recovery. And each of those in and of themselves is is a step that needs to be looked at and, and one that needs a very firm and a very broad um, response to them. I personally, I think it's the likes of Andy 
from Mishka who need to be front and centre at, at the Citizens' Assembly, their voices and the voices of those task force across the country. Because what Paul has mentioned there about the issue in his area, that's not unique to his area. That is across the country. Now, I brought this up with the Minister for Health three years ago. In September 2020, I brought this up at the point, and Alexa was mentioned there, and there has been slight changes in the availability of an Alexan recently. The, but when I asked the Minister, no community first responder had been trained. In fact, there was only 50 people trained to the National Family Support in 2019. There is no point on one hand in saying we are going to make this life-saving drug available to somebody who may overdose on an opioid, but we're not going to provide the necessary training to the people who are actually on the ground in our communities. Now, in areas such as mine, which is a very rural area, the chances are you will have a community first responder there quicker than what you will have an ambulance there. That is just the reality of what things are like on the ground. But in terms of where it is that we begin to criminalise somebody for their actives, for the, for their actions, that is something that we are. We need the citizens' assembly to come back with some with some very firm recommendations. And when they do, we need a commitment from government to act on this. This can't be like other citizens' assemblies where the recommendations have come back, but nothing has changed. All right, okay. I just before we we, we get to our next item uh, and, and indeed the break, just on the program that was on previous, uh, Maria Cal was speaking to uh, Brendan O'Connor earlier on, and she said that uh, in the year 2000, a Sinn Féin office was used uh, to question her. Do you believe her? Do I? Yes, I do. Do you believe the IRA questioned her in a Sinn Féin office? I do, actually. um, I have always found Maria Cal that when she spoke, she was somebody who spoke about horrific experiences that happened to her. Not only during the abuse, but also what happened afterwards was very wrong, Colm. That should never have happened. And as any survivor of sexual abuse will say... It's the aftermath that can really benefit somebody in their, in their coming back to where they were. So if Maria Call is saying that she was interviewed in an office, I would believe sure. Maria Call. And Kahl she called on Mary Lou Macdonald, who said she, she doesn't know what happened mm. to make inquiries of people in the wider Republican movement to establish the facts on this. You would support that call, would you? I don't have any direct knowledge about this. No, Mary Lou sure. Macdonald has apologised for the lack of processes that were in place at that time, and rightly so, in my opinion. She's actually repeated that apology. The... Um, I but just in terms of uh, when she said she doesn't know what happened, Maria Cahill was calling on her to make inquiries to satisfy her herself as to, as to what happened. Would you support her in that call? I haven't spoken to Mary Lou about the interview this morning. I didn't even hear the interview call, to be honest with you, this morning, so I don't know the entirety of what was in it. The... Um, would I support a call for any victim of abuse to be given information? Absolutely. That, that goes without saying. The, but I do want to reiterate, what happened then was wrong. Those meetings further compounded hurt and trauma. They should never have happened. And today they wouldn't happen. All right. OK. All right. Well, we're going to have a look at the barristers uh, industrial action and indeed how the criminal justice system is going to be affected by Garda industrial action after this. 